You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast about helping online brands to build a better e-commerce growth engine with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. So John, you and I have done a lot of speaking around the country over the years. And every time we're on stage speaking, I notice some very common trends. And it's regardless of the clients we are speaking to or the prospects we're speaking to or the verticals or industries, there seems to pretty regularly come up some very consistent topics in your talks. And that leads me to believe that there are some underlying principles in the world of commercial optimization, that if you understand at least those, it allows you to build some tactics or things to do specifically to your site that are going to work better. Since I know that not every tactic for conversion rate optimization is going to work across every website. Mm-hmm. A lot, some of them will. <laughs> but helping each business owner or marketing team understand how they at least need to start looking at the world from a conversion rate perspective, I think requires people to understand some of these principles. And so I'm very excited today. Again, every time you talk, I'm learning something new and I enjoy it because uh, I usually go do it on my website. <laughs> so doing a podcast with you allows me to improve my websites, which is great. I'll look um, out for that royalty check. <laughs> yeah, do so. It'll, it's, it's in the mail, I'm sure. Uh, so today, uh, let's start. I think I believe we're going to do two parts on this because there are so many. There's so so much depth you can do, go into in talking principles. So today, we're going to touch, I believe, on the first four principles of, you know, conversion rates, and not even just necessarily the optimization, but just you got to establish a foundation of how to mm-hmm. get a website to convert before you can then optimize it. So I'm excited. Kick us off on this. Awesome. Well, yeah. So look, you know, and as you mentioned, you've seen me talk quite a bit. So maybe this year of COVID that we've been in has been a good thing for you because you've gotten some distance from hearing my talks over and over <laughs> again. Um, no, I'll come up with some new tricks next time we, we speak together. But look, it, you know, in this decade plus or so of experience, right, we've I've seen these time and again that you must follow these certain truths, if you will, for a highly converting site. And, you know, this year, as I haven't been traveling as much, I've had a little bit of time on my hands, and as we all have, <laughs> um, maybe less so than you with all the all the kids in, in land. But I, I will say that I started writing a book about this, right? And oh, wow. I really wanted to focus on just what are these fundamental truths and how could I break down optimization from a high level to not focus so much on the tactics, because everybody goes directly to the tactics, right? But what are the overarching things that a brand needs to know and be thinking about, right? What is the frame of mind that they need to have? Mm. Um, so yeah, let's chat about the first handful of them. I'm, I'm hoping this book will be out in the first half of 2021. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll let everybody know about it when uh, we get closer on that. But you know, the first law that, that I talk about here is that it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. Now, mm-hmm. I know this is one you've heard from me before, right? For sure. I could summarize this just by saying that all too often, brands make decisions about their e-commerce website based on what they think is best, right? not how a consumer who's new to the brand and their products engages with that site. So I think that's a fundamental mistake. And that's why I start here, because you have to be able to understand that as a brand, you're just too close to your website and really need to be thinking about how that new to file customer is viewing the site in order to to make it successful. Mm-hmm. I think often it's not even in the, the website as much as you understand the lingo and you're the one writing this content on the site and you just, 
you know the, the industry or brand so well that you don't even think about, well, they don't know what to click on that. Like right. <laughs> they don't because they didn't build it. They didn't know that they should look there before here, before clicking and scrolling down or doing something. So it's, that's a difficult one for brands to grasp for yeah. sure. It's a classic, you know, there's that wonderful site out there called the user is drunk, right? Where you can pay this guy to to basically get drunk and then navigate your website. <laughs> <laughs> I have not heard of that. I am taking that note right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look that one up. He's I got will. A, he has a, another site that he runs too, which is uh, my mom is the user, I think. And um, that's even better because it's like, you know, his older mom, right? she's probably mm-hmm. in her 70s, late 70s. And she gets on and tries to use your website and they record it. And uh, both of them are very eye-opening because, you know, if a drunk user can't use your website, right, then you have problems. And Especially in COVID. Oh, <laughs> we were just talking yeah, about we wine were, before, we right? <laughs> yeah, got to be drinking wine at night in COVID. Relax, de-stress. We were, we were discussing what our daily drinkers were, which is probably not not overly <laughs> healthy. But I, again, I think that this perspective is really important because, the, you know, not only understanding that consumer, but it's impossible for a brand to optimize their own site when they don't have uh, this perspective from that, that new visitor. Additionally, uh, if a visitor can't understand the brand's website, how to navigate it, what the value propositions are, or even you know, what the products the brands are selling, right? Then, then they're going to bounce right away. And I think that could be solved. And when you're trying to see things from outside the jar, or I mean, I don't want to get into tactics too much, but how does a team understand if that's where they're at? Other than going to the drunk user site and being like, oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> Are there just general things that a team seems to sound like or look like when you come in like, oh, you're in the jar? Yeah, you know, it's uh, really easy to look at somebody's website and, and determine this. And the first way is, as you mentioned, jargon. They're using a lot of jargon that they know, but their consumers may not know. And this could just be the name of their product categories. It could be the product names themselves. You know, a lot of brands do this and they think that they're speaking to their audience, but really they're limiting their audience by doing that. And I'm not suggesting don't play to the niche that you, you serve. You definitely should. You want them to know that they that you understand their pain, right? But this is where if you really start doing some consumer research start doing those session recordings so you can understand where people are dropping off and where they're navigating around a website or even the best of these is going to be user testing. And I think we've talked a few times about just when it's okay to do so again, just go to your local coffee shop with a laptop and just say, can I, you know, while somebody's waiting in line, can I buy this coffee for you? If you spend two minutes while you're waiting for the barista to make your coffee and navigate my website while I record the screen, pretty simple, right? You just want to know, what is that person who's never been to your website before? What are they thinking as they go as they come to your website? What's their first impression? Where do they want to go first? Mm-hmm. And so if you use that data to understand your visitors and you optimize for their experience instead of the brand's message, then you're you're going to be in a really good spot. So this is something that that really I've seen can help brands to navigate uncertainties like COVID and uh, and I think it's really worked well. Okay, great. All right, next law. You ready? I'm ready. All right. (laughs) Consumers are at your website for two reasons, to research and to purchase. Now, this is another one. I know you've heard, you've probably heard all these laws because (laughs) you've been, you've heard me speak so many times, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why they're laws because they keep coming back up. Fundamental truths. 
So if consumers are only at your website for two reasons, and that's again to research and to purchase, I think that you'll find really quickly with putting that lens on e-commerce websites that most of them are set up to accomplish way too many tasks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, think about all these tasks that, that websites usually try to accomplish right off the bat, right? A lot of times they're trying to talk to the company's mission. Consumer, eh, they might care about mission, but later on in that process, right? It might be a reassurance tool. It's probably not the reason somebody's going to buy from you. Again, that consumer has their own pain or need that they're trying to find the solution for. So if your mission aligns and helps out with that, maybe that's a reassurance, but it's mm-hmm. li- unlikely that somebody's going to buy from you unless there's, you know, that's not going to be the deciding point, right? A lot of websites, uh, they just want to promote their latest marketing campaign. So they say, oh, you know what? We're going to run this big marketing campaign. We got to have it up on our website. And it's like, well, do you? I mean, I think I've, uh, you know, you've heard me tell the story. I worked with a well-known helmet brand. They wanted to do a hella skiing commercial and they spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this photo shoot and filming event where they dropped these skiers out of a helicopter on the side of a mountain. It looked beautiful. But guess what? 99.9% of their their consumers and their visitors just needed a helmet for that weekend trip to Tahoe, right? Mm-hmm. They, weren't, they weren't trying to buy a helmet to hella ski, right? So it didn't resonate with them. Was it cool on TV and get attention? Yes, of course. But once they're on the website, your marketing has won. There's mm-hmm. no reason to continue to beat that point there. And so, you know, it's that marketing campaign content is great in a supporting fashion, but it's really not that great upfront on the website. You know, these, these sites also try to just provide a ton of product information. And, and this is my favorite. Brands often, their websites try to feed the ego of the executive stakeholders. And <laughs> I see this all the time where, you know, it's all, they have an about us page. They have, you know, what's our company mission, as I mentioned earlier. They, their navigation is, is all about the company instead of it being about the consumer's needs. You know, that's something that, that we see quite a bit. But eventually selling products makes its way onto that list, although it's much, much lower than one would think. You know, I, again, re- visitors are really only at that website to research if, and understand if your product or service can solve their pain or need. And, and if it can, they want to purchase or convert as quickly and easily as possible. And that's it. I promise you that's it. No one's there to hang out. Or spin a little wheel of fortune wheel and try uh, to win a discount. <laughs> you know how to get me riled up. I just love going to spinning wheels. That's great. <laughs> so the the best one was I was in a, in a customer meeting and I won't name who it was, but it was in a client meeting uh, years ago now, and they asked us to uh, put a MP3 player, a music, uh, literally they called it an MP3 player back then, right? A music player on their site, and I was like, why you <laughs> you don't sell music? And they said, well, we want people to hang out. And I was like, well, why do you want them to hang out on your website? Well, we, you know, we just, we're a cool brand. We want people to hang out and associate us with a cool brand. I was like, if people are on your website for more than like four or five minutes, you've lost. Because that means they're having problems completing the tasks that they want to get done. Your site has uh, jobs to be done. And if it's not meeting that consumer's jobs to be done, then, then you've got a problem. And I guarantee you, they're not coming to your website to listen to music. That's just not not why they're there. So you go to your MySpace page. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, they got cool music. Let's hang out here. <laughs> uh, 
Yep, that's what it felt like. Yeah, that didn't last. <laughs> yeah. So really, I think, you know, here's yeah. the thing. If if you're accomplishing those two tasks, research and purchase, and you're making those as simple as possible that your customers will buy, conversion rate will improve, customer satisfaction will improve, and everybody's going to win. There's really mm-hmm. no downside to focusing on those two tasks other than maybe upsetting somebody in the marketing team or, or executive leadership and I bet that that could be turned around with some higher sales numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in this, a, a sub point would be make sure you're also worrying about the right metrics. Mm. Like if you are generating research, like a high bounce rate is not a bad idea and don't get hung up on, well, bounce rate went up to 90%. Yep. Who yeah, cares? And the page you were sending them to, they didn't know go anywhere else. That's a really good point. A lot of brands focus on metrics like time on page, right? They focus on, things like uh, you know bounce rate, et cetera, and thinking that they're going to have a much higher Google ranking because they solve those metrics. And the reality is that if a consumer who's not really going to buy from you bounces, that's okay. But also, if a consumer can get into your site and buy and leave in three, four minutes, that's okay too. Like, I want to get on with my life, um, just like a lot of your consumers do. Right, mm-hmm. they're there for the purpose, and, and if it's served, then we're good to go. You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast focused on e-commerce growth. Your hosts are John McDonald, founder of The Good, a conversion rate optimization agency that works with e-commerce brands to help convert more of their visitors into buyers, and Ryan Garrow of Logical Position, a digital marketing agency offering pay-per-click management, search engine optimization and website design services to brands of all sizes. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you. Okay, third law. Yes, your goals and your consumer's goals are aligned. They both want a conversion. So going back to you know what we just talked about with it, they're only there for two reasons. You know, the second one of those was to convert, right? And it's what a brand wants too. But I really, I think the overarching point here is, is that if you're, when it comes to your website, if your goals and your consumer's goals are aligned and you both want a conversion, then you're really going to be in a good spot. And the best way to combat this one is to think of your website like a retail store, which is another thing I know you've heard me say, right? Again, that's why these are all laws. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just common truths that come up again and again. You've heard me talk a lot about if you wouldn't do it in a retail store, don't do it on your website. And I think that's super applicable here because, you know, just because you can't see that consumer on the other side of the screen does not mean they're not human. And so many brands make that mistake. They just think of it as a number in Google Analytics and they Mm -hmm. treat it like, how can we get them through the funnel as quickly as possible? reducing your user experience to a number in Google Analytics is just not a good situation for for helping you increase sales. So, you know, uh, good examples of, of this, you know, is I talk about the retail associate who jumps out in front of you as soon as you step in front of the, in, in the front door of the store and you are, you know, bombarded with a pop-up essentially, right? Where they jump out in front of you and say, give me your email address and I'll give you a discount. Well, it's the same thing, right? Would you really want that experience in a retail store? Probably not. What if, you know, would you rotate your products automatically from side to side on the rack, making it difficult to grab one? No. <laughs> People do that with rotating <laughs> carousels. 
<laughs> why do that? Uh, right? Even worse is when the, the call to action on those images moves the location. So now the consumer is jumping all around and they have to grab in different locations. Right? It, it's mm-hmm. really painful. Or what about this one? I love this one. What if every time you put an item in your cart, you rush them to the cashier? You know, imagine going grocery shopping and you put in one item in your cart and all of a sudden your cart pulls you to the, to the checkout, right? You're not ready <laughs> to go to checkout, right? But that's exactly what a lot of e-com brands do is they say, oh, um, add to cart. And then it immediately takes you to the cart instead of just adding it to the cart and letting you continue your shopping journey. It's a great way to reduce your your uh, average order value, by the way, is, mm-hmm. is to just kick people right into the cart and say, you're done here now when you really you know want them to continue to explore a little bit. So, you know, on that point, I will bring up, there's a new technology that I've seen mm-hmm. on product pages, allowing for checkout from single button checkout from product pages. So shopping drives a lot of product page visits. Mm-hmm. They're going to put, or they are putting checkout buttons on the product pages. So you don't even have to like land there, click done, like mm. gone, gone. And I was like, that has to be killing AOV. Like that's how you build is you have larger things added to card or multiple items. And they, I haven't seen the final data yet, but they told me that AOV went up Mm. on one of the beauty brands. And I was like, well, that doesn't pass my logic test to a degree. You can give people options, I think, Mm -hmm. but if you're going to be like, click gone, like I agree with that, that is, oh, I can't imagine that, but that's going to do some of those numbers. You can combine that tactic with something like cart hook. I don't know if you're familiar with cart hook, Mm -hmm. but you know, that post-purchase upsell, All right? Post-purchase upsell right there will, would go a long way. And that's something that, you know, is worth considering um, as well is, you know, if you're, if you have to send people to the cart after they, you know, add something, then let them check out and upsell them after they check out because it's a really seamless process and it increases average order value dramatically. Right. All right. That fourth one is uh, competitive research is not data. How many brands do you know just copy their competitors, right? I get this all the time in the paid search realm and, and just in the online marketing realm. It's like, oh, we saw brand so-and-so was doing this, so we'd like to do that. I'm like, I mean, you assume that your competitors know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I, I would argue more than nine out of 10 do not know what they're doing. It's, it's interesting, right? We just, just say, oh, you know what? That company's bigger than us. They probably know. Right? Mm-hmm. Or I assume they're bigger than us and they know. And it's funny, I, I saw something today on LinkedIn where somebody was like, you know, the more of my idols that I meet in person, the more I realize they're just normal people. Mm-hmm. And it's so true, right? They, they, maybe they had a lucky break or, or maybe they, you know, they, they work really hard, but that doesn't necessarily mean whatever their path was needs to be your path. And another good way to look at this is, uh, that there's a reason that racehorses wear blinders. If you think about that, a racehorse needs to focus on the goal and just sprinting toward that goal. But if they see all these distractions around them, then they're going to slow down or they're going to hit the horse next to them or they're going to go off course. Do you really want to be the racehorse that is chasing all the other horses? Or do you want to be the one that's just sprinting to your goal? And I, 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 think that applies really, really well. I mean, you know, these competitors, you're assuming that they're running a winning race and you really don't know, you know, that you don't know if they're running a test on their site and you got opted into the, a, a variant of that test. 
And then Mm -hmm. you just said, oh, wow, they're doing this to everybody and this is great. You know, it must be working for them. Well, maybe they tested it with 5% of their traffic and you happen to be in that 5%. And you also don't know if their tactics are even working. So many brands say things like, oh, I saw, like you just said, brand X, Y, or Z is doing this. We need to do it too. But how do you know that that's actually working for them? Mm -hmm. You know, it could be a mix of a bunch of different things, right? So I guess, you know, the only thing that really matters here is your site's visitors data. And that's really it. How are people engaging with your site? Now, competitive analysis can fuel a smart testing program, but you really just don't want to copy blindly. I think, you know, if you see something you like from somebody else, test it. Why not? It can't hurt to run a test on your site for a small variant of your traffic and, and, and run with it. But I think it's important to know that not not one strategy is going to work across all the same sites and even with the same brands in, in, in a, excuse me with brands in the same category. Yeah, I find it. It's I use it as brainstorming fodder when I'm talking to clients. Like, okay, great, they're doing that. Mm-hmm. You and if you haven't tested that, based on what I'm seeing, it's probably worth a reasonable test. But that assumption that it's working is insane because even even if you and I set up if we were selling the same product we both built our sites we could bid on the same term mm-hmm. and have drastically different results on this and it could work for me and not for you but then the same is going to happen on other keywords or other traffic yeah. sources and that's because you're bidding on it doesn't mean it's going to work for me <laughs> uh, that's you know and I think this is true across several disciplines right so it's mm-hmm. true for driving traffic it's true once somebody gets to your site I, I think it's just true in life that you know if you are always focusing on other folks instead of your own goals you, you'll never reach your own goals and I just you know this is a this is a good one to be really if you really want to innovate you can't be copying all the time and, I, oh, and yeah. I think I think that that's key is be looking to innovate and you'll you know do something a little different and you'll your site will perform a lot better than if you're just going around copying your competition. Mm-hmm. And I would even challenge a lot of brands to start thinking about instead of looking at bigger competitors, look at smaller ones that mm-hmm. seem to be starting quickly or growing quickly. Um, I've done that on Amazon with some of uh, with one of some of my competitors. Mm-hmm. Like I already know the big competitors. I know exactly how they got to where they are, that how many years it took. It's the smallest, like, whoa, where'd that brand come from? What are they doing that's so unique? Yeah. I need to trace that back and, mm-hmm. and focus on how do I, you know, stay ahead of them. But also usually the smaller brands have less layers or management opinions to work through and they can just do. And that's one thing I really do love about the startup process in for my own companies is I see you do, I test, I'm like, huh, bad idea, pivot quickly. Uh, but some of the largest brands we've worked with, good luck getting certain things done, even if they make sense. Because there's all these layers of management saying we need to do this, this, and this, just because we have to, like for this random retailer or this random thing for branding over here, we have to put that on the site. That's uh, <laughs> exactly it. I mean, you know, look at the new startup as because they're going to innovate, right? They're still mm-hmm. fresh. They're going to innovate. Turning that that small little ship is a lot easier than turning that huge battleship, right? And and so trying to turn that massive competitor and be like them, they're not going to innovate quick enough, right? And uh, there's a whole bunch of books out there, Innovator's Dilemma, all those type of things where it's hard to be innovating within a large corporation. And, you know, so why would you want to copy what that large corporation is doing? I just don't get it. 
personally. Well, I want to copy their bank account sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take some time to get there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's always the overnight success story that everybody thinks, right? But it yeah. really is. It's been years and years of hard work. So Okay, well, I think that's a good stopping point for part one. We'll continue with part two probably in about four weeks. All right. Point. So we're awesome. looking for that. And any parting words on the first four laws of conversions? Well, uh, those four laws, again, where it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar. Second is consumers are only at your website for two reasons, to research and to purchase. The third is your goals and your consumers' goals are aligned. You both want a conversion. And lastly, that competitive research is not data. And so I think those are, are great Great things to live by and just truths I've seen. So um, if you start thinking about those and applying that to your, the way you're running and operating your e-com site, then you'll be off to the races. And I can't wait to share the next four with, with everybody. Yeah, now you're halfway through the battle of knowing the laws. We'll get to the other half uh, within a few weeks. So thank you, John. I appreciate the time and, and the education. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for listening to Drive and Convert with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. Keep up to date with new episodes. You can subscribe at driveandconvert.com.